0: Yo, yo, my name is Big Lou, and you're now listening to Go Produce. We're the show that explores how music industry professionals turn their passions into profit. If you're curious to learn how an artist has developed his ear so well that it got him working with a popular Canadian band, then this episode is for you. All right, all right. Thank you, Factor, for funding part of this initiative. Today's theme is musical and technical knowledge is a must. How do you hear what trained ears don't hear as an artist? Our guest for today is Mr. Tokyo Spears. Tokyo Spears is one of the members of Walk Off The Earth, a Canadian indie pop band from Burlington, Ontario. The group is known for its music videos of covers and originals. He does production, mixing, recording, and songwriting. He has the ability to hear things that you would not pick up on unless you are incredibly trained. Oh, and of course, he is our best friend engineer. Ladies and gentlemen, I bring you Tokyo Spears. Hey, everyone. <laughs> that was super awesome. Thank you so much, Tokyo, for being here. I want you to know that we very much do appreciate your time, so let's make the most of this and go produce, yes? Absolutely, man. All right, so starting it off nice and strong, we've got The Basics. Ah, uh, The Basics. Oh, baby. I, oh, I love that sound. It gets me going. Starting <laughs> off with the basics, we want to get everyone on the same page with you so that we can move through this experience together as one. Cool. Into it. Into it. Into it. Beautiful. Tokyo, what's your first musical memory?
1: First musical memory? Um, maybe when I was quite young getting a set of bongos that I don't even remember getting. I only remember I got them because there was a picture of me getting them. <laughs> uh, so my first memory is a uh, a recycled memory of uh, just a, a tiny like dollar store set of bongos. That was it. No like actual performance memory.
0: Yeah. Okay. So did you figure out later on what the story was behind the bongos? Why did you receive a pair of bongos as opposed to anything else?
1: No, man. No story. Just like my mom's like, <laughs> yo, I found this picture of you getting bongos, and I was like, cool. And I'm just like sitting with a bunch of people watching me playing these. So it must have been like some event, but I was like, you know, seven or six or something. But I was like, cool, I have these. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: Leave me be. I've got my bongos. I like that a lot. And then did you find that you experimented with a lot of different kind of atypical instruments because of that? Um, That might have just
1: been from homeschooling, actually. I grew up homeschooled and uh, I was pretty like free reign. So I was able to kind of jump on to different instruments quite a bit. And I think that might have
0: had a lot to do with it, in fact. Very cool. Interesting. Experimenting. What is the first lesson that the industry has taught you? Jeez. The first <laughs> lesson the Take industry breather,
1: has taught me. The music industry specifically. Yes. Uh, and if you see me jittering around, it's because I'm actually balancing on a yoga ball right now. So if I fall over and just like deek it's, it's because I'm on a ball right now. I promise um, I won't
0: laugh too hard.
1: <laughs> yeah, but you can laugh a little bit. You got the soundboard there for you. Perfect. That's what the soundboard's for. Um, first industry memory might have been or sorry first industry fact that it really stuck out to me was I think um, it's a bit counterintuitive I think it's that uh, like formal training is not for everyone and like how so many people think well you know if you want to get this job you have to go to this school and you have to like do this and this and this and like so many people I meet in the industry are like, you know what? I couldn't do the music thi- the music school thing. I had to like just go and learn it and do it myself. And then often like so many other people that have done the same kind of thing where they've just like learned to DIY. They're like, yeah, do you like, you don't have to go to music school to like make it. And that's true. But what I've learned in the industry is that so much of the prerequisites, so many prerequisites of the industry are based on the foreknowledge of what you learn at school. And like, it's the little things in the background that you learn in a formal like institution, you don't realize you need until like the very second you need it. And so right. I was like, "Well, what does that mean?" If like three percent on pub, and you're like, uh, uh, uh. and then the guy that learned that was like, "Oh well, that means this." And so that's what they I learned forward. really fast. Yeah. Is exactly what I learned really quick was like what my formal training gave me versus what I have to learn on the fly. So it's not exactly intuitive the first, but that was the biggest thing. I was like, "Wow, I'm really glad I went to this school for this." moment right now (laughs) yeah well it's
0: interesting that you say that because we do have the conversation with other guests we have some professors we have uh students of the game if you will and everyone has a different approach and it is interesting to see that you know you will gain little knacks of wisdom by literally just being in the environment and spending time with these people because there is probably a reason that they're sharing this with you it likely happened to them in the past um and it's up to you as the individual to absorb that that being said, you can, you can learn on the fly as well. Exactly. And you did make that differentiation.
1: Yeah. And like that's, that's kind of the biggest thing I learned is that you need to have – 100% you need to have both. You need to be – not 100%, but most of the time you'll need to have both. It's like you'll need to learn that base level training mm-hmm. from something. Just take an online course or something, mm-hmm. and then you can go and learn on the fly because things have changed since that course came out. And then those two things together will really cut you through.
0: Things are always changing, like yeah. especially within this industry, hey? Oh, 100%. So it's constantly learning. Cool. After having spent all of this time in the industry, what first are you pursuing now, personally?
1: Uh, what am I first pursuing right now? I'm pursuing... Actually, it's hilarious. <laughs> and yeah, you and or Grumpy Sound Guy will laugh at me for this, or Andrew in the background if he's watching. But I'm, <laughs> I'm relearning... Logic Pro X. So I had learned it in school, and I did pretty well. I had good classes and uh, good grades and stuff. But that was Logic no- uh, eight or nine or something at the time. And uh and I just it was kind of like the little brother of Pro Tools. It was like it's uh, Logic's awesome to make beats or like just like FL Studio or fruit Loops at the time, yeah, like, all that kind of stuff. But then when you want to get you know when you want to graduate and you want to go track some bands in a in a studio, you got to rent Pro Tools. So i was like i'm gonna learn pro tools i'm gonna just get like nailed down pro tools and so i learned it and i nailed it down and i used it for like the last seven years or whatever and then like everyone in all these different like project studios are running logic i'm like okay i gotta learn Ooh. i gotta relearn logic so i was uh i I'd just been like trying to do demos and stuff in logic only or, or just in ableton i think like to that just like to push myself and like relearn all that new stuff so 10.4 or whatever the newest one came out Mm -hmm. and I was like okay this is like I want to relearn it on this that way I can get like the live loops and happening and all that kind of stuff so yeah like right now the thing I'm bent on learning is like mastering from a couple of different people because I'm not a mastering engineer and never will be Um, but because time permits or I should say time um, doesn't permit it i We can't always send music to mastering, right uh so like let's say there's a quick change. I have to do the mastering, so like the often I'll end up doing mastering for the majority of the songs and that that i the, you know that uh I myself or some other people make and uh and that and i'm like i'm I'm done with not knowing what I'm doing, like <laughs> so I went and you know one of my buddies hooked me up with a a program, so I'm learning that now, yeah, uh but aside from that, logic is like. I'm so slow compared to some of these dudes, and I'm like, "Oh, this is so painful for my ego right now." <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it's so much. It's a steep learning curve, and I'm. I wonder, it's probably a little bit easier since you have the experience with Pro Tools and Fruity Loops, but it's still a whole beast of its own.
1: Oh yeah, and it's it's such an amazing program, and like I I actually in my heart have like such a soft spot for Logic, and and also for like Bitwig, and just like DOS that are like, cheaper, that have perpetual licensing that you don't have to keep buying over and over again, that can run video at the same time without crashing. Like, just this, the the most base-level things you think every DAW should have. And yeah. you wrote like, those struggles with them so hard. You're just like, man, come on. And, like, the new Ableton just came out with comping for the, you know, finally. Yeah. So now Ableton 11 will be able to comp tracks like every other DAW, meaning that it's finally and officially a DAW. Things like that. Like, those things we got to keep in mind if you're, like... Married to one workstation, you're
0: like, man, you can't think that way. What do you mean, finally, officially a DAW? Is there, well, like, prerequisites to make it a DAW?
1: It's, it's this whole ongoing debate, like, that Ableton Live was supposed to be a live program. And, like, initially was designed to be a live performance software. And only over the years, over 10 iterations, technically... Has it become more and more of what people would consider a digital audio workstation, where you can actually mix in it, you can actually produce in it, and like automation came in and like all this kind of stuff was added to Ableton as it came, as it got older. I don't know. If, I think automation might have started there, like at the first iteration, whatever. But whatever the case, as it as it matured, people were like, "This is a workstation." And like for example, that same question got exacerbated even more when Luna came out because then people because UAD themselves, Universal Audio. Try to convince people that it's not a work that it's not a DAW. right? Right? They're like, this is a you know, this is a an, an, an ecosystem, its an environment, and to some degree, they're right. A lot of the features you would look for in a DAW aren't there, and it's because they don't have to be. If it's not a dot it's like it's like That's if you true. buy a car and there's two wheels, you know, and half a windshield, they're like, I didn't sell you a car. I I sold you this other thing. They're like they're like, I guess if you don't call it a car. You don't have to be yeah. held to a car standard. So That's like. Good point. That, so you have to keep that kind of thing in mind, and so like now the question is friggin' closed. Like, if you have comping and you have these other like, what you call pillars of a of a workstation, then mm-hmm. you can't really
0: excuse yourself from the rest of it, right? Very interesting. Very interesting. That is a wrap up of the basics. I'm that was a not lot basic smarter at all.
1: I have, have to cut all that out because it's not basic, but <laughs> uh,
0: not exactly not so basic. Like a little bit mind-blown already, but we're off to a great start. Moving on, mm-hmm. we've got our next segment. Our next segment is What's Yo
1: Kid? Feels so triumphant with that music.
0: <laughs> he's, on, he's, on, he's on point here with it. Normally uh he makes a couple of mistakes and I try to make fun of him, but. He's doing well today. Ah,
1: not Thank too you, Grumpy Sound Guy. Well done,
0: well done. <laughs> 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 spot on, spot on. What's your take, Tokyo, is going to be me throwing three different points at you that are perhaps semi-ridiculous, and I just want your perspective. Okay. Cool. Getting song covers to go viral is a simple science. What's your take? False. False. Why?
1: <laughs> because um, it had, well, <clears throat> it used to be easier for the algorithm implementation in YouTube. Specifically YouTube we're talking about. Okay. Um, but the algorithm changed that because now if you're subscribed to someone, uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to see what they post. And if you're not subscribed to someone, the algorithm will decide for you what you want to see. So it's kind of just takes the... the uh the end user's hands off the wheel. So now it's up to a computer to decide what you'll like. And that computer algorithm is based on an ever-evolving set of uh, of factors. So it could be your previous clicks, your interests, your click rate, the amount of time you're spending on a video, the amount of time, your your retention on that video. Uh, If you're watching it for more than 10 minutes or less than 10 minutes, then ads can change because you can have multiple mid-roll ads and that will change the way that algorithms push that video because that means that ad companies will be more interested in putting ads on your video because you can put three times more or twice as much. Right. So that has com- so all that kind of thing has to be kept in mind if you want to make a viral video because you have to be like, well, do I want my video to be really popular with marketing? Because then it that will give it an extra boost because then ad money will be behind it or Google will put more push behind it. Do I have enough of a base of subscribers with notifications on? Cause that will mean that the notification might pop up. But even notifications aren't all notifications. It's either personalized or all, so it's it's
0: it's not simple. <laughs> it's not so So actually, releasing the song itself isn't simple either. But even recording the song has its own challenges. Absolutely. Yeah. What kind of challenges do you experience with that?
1: Well, those everyone knows once uh, they get into the recording process. Um. Uh. But it's just a little more specific when you do it. You know. The way that we we tend to do it, so the one number like the number one issue is isolation, right? Like isolating parts, trying to get parts to be as like uniquely recorded as possible, or have as little bleed as possible, so you can you know turn it up or mix it or change it or tweak it or pitch it or tune it or things like that. So like that's kind of the hardest part.
0: Yeah. And then when you're actually doing it live for the video itself, you said that it could take on average fifty times. How how much time does that usually translate into?
1: To perform,
0: uh, like not necessarily in front of other people,
1: but when you're preparing the videos. Right. It depends. Like so, um, not to speak for the rest of them, but um, when they're when they're prepping to do one, it's like it can be a day or two ahead of the shoot day. Of prep, so if if it's a really hard one, uh, you know, couple days of uh, of just training to do it. Like for example, one of the ones we did recently, the drummer Joel and me made an Excel spreadsheet and split up the entire, like every hand for every sixteenth note in a in in a sixteen bar chunk for the verse, a sixteen bar chunk for the chorus, and a sixteen bar chunk for the pre-chorus, and then assigned because we know that if you have two hands, you can only do two things at once. Plus vocal, so you have three items to be added to the to the repertoire of that. Right, if that one sixteenth note, so we go one sixteenth note at a time and say like this: bell, left hand, Joel. This bell, right hand, Johnny. This bell, left hand, Sarah. Listen, to this Johnny can't do anything for this four bars because he's playing the ukulele. The next four bars, his ukulele is passed over to this person, it means he has two new hands. But now this person's two hands are not available, and just go through the entire song, <laughs> assigning one hand at a time, one sixteenth yeah. note at a time
0: is that your role like do you take that that role on uh i me and joel for sure you and joel yeah. and how how serious about this like how much of a perfectionist are you with these takes because you're measuring uh, out 16ths so when the video comes around that's probably well, like that's precise, that's no? all
1: that's all for rehearsal only okay so like once part has been written out yeah like that and again this is only for parts that are really 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 interactive so okay. for example if i have to pick take this cup and then three other people have to take that same cup then every 16th note has to be assigned otherwise two hands will grab that cup right so and then once you listen to that like we we try to listen to just our part over and over and over again in solo so right. all the all the places where your hands are that part is like 20 db louder right and then you for just go into a room yeah. yeah into a room and you listen to that for like a day <laughs> just yeah like, and it sounds like pure nonsense it's just like yeah (laughs) and it's like the weirdest like non-musical part ever So what we do what we try to do or like uh what they're really good with is like reorganizing parts to make it a little bit more musical so it's easier to remember right so like i'll just write the most technical thing because like it's technically right like your hands should be here you should do this and then someone will come back like i can't play this this is like okay (laughs) (laughs) no <laughs> <laughs> like, like, rhythm to it, yeah no rhythm to it, so then we'll 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 tool it around and like swap this person's hand so it's like like it's more of a of a thing yeah yeah so so that it takes a couple iterations, but once you get the everyone's parts done, the small change is like the ten percent that has to change in the day because of like no one realized that my shoulder's <clears throat> too far forward for that person to reach at that one hit or oh. Like, like the person has to reach underneath someone else and they're too short, so we have to put sandbags in the ground to make them an inch taller. Just like the tiniest huh. changes get changed the day of. But, you know, not to give the secrets away. I mean that's not a secret, yeah. it's just inches of sandbags. But do you get the idea? That kind of stuff gets figured out more or less like the day of. But the the minority like the sorry, the ninety percent of it is figured out ahead of time if Previously, if yeah. possible. Sometimes it's just a yeah, we just jump in and do it in the same day, but that's that's a stressful <laughs> see what day. happens. That's a stressful day.
0: Who uh, who comes up with the instruments to use?
1: Depends. Um, often the uh, the group receives uh, stuff from all kinds of other uh, like companies, so they might reach out and say like, "Hey, we have this new new J sax, like this plastic saxophone," and so we'll get we'll receive a saxophone in the mail, and we're like, so then myself or, or someone else would be like, how do you play this thing? And then we'll try to figure it out. I'm usually the one with the most time. So I'm usually the one figure, like learning how to play instruments, uh, at least at a very base level. Like when I say learn, I mean, learn one thing on one instrument. So it's like, can you oh, okay. play this one part <laughs> on this instrument? Because right. that's all that I really need to learn, right? Or that's all that someone else would have to learn. So then I'll try to learn this one part on an instrument and be like, okay, I'll just go over that for a few hours. And do that one single part and then say, like, dude, can you play this? And we're like, okay. And then they'll go over it for a while and then they're like, okay, I can play this one part. Oh, this so guy. it's, you know, you shouldn't be assuming that I can play every instrument because I've heard that before and it's absolute not true. <laughs> I can play one thing on many instruments,
0: <laughs> but it works. It works. And there's an art as well to putting that puzzle together, you know? Absolutely. <clears throat> Absolutely. Very cool. Is that uh is that your favorite cup? Does that cup make a lot of features in your videos?
1: This one? <laughs> no, this is just uh, my mom makes my mom makes um, cups sometimes. This isn't one of hers, but usually I, at home I have a bunch of her own pottery that I try to to drink of. So because I'm not I'm not close to home. I'm I'm out in Hamilton and I grew up in Quebec. So Quebec. little little yeah. reminders to call my mom or things like that, you know.
0: I hear you. I hear you. My mom's not in the country either. Mm. Speaking of covers, Do you think song covers are the best way to generate momentum for artists or bands?
1: That's a great question. I mean, that one would be better answered by uh, someone in the band who has a better view of that from from a bird's eye. Right. From what I've gleaned, um, it's really hard for a new band to get momentum when there's so much, such an oversaturated market of songs that are always being released, like every Friday. Right. New release Friday, just like this massive wave of a mix of the the the, everything, the most grassroots bands that just got a Spotify like account. And, you know, the biggest pop bands there are today like BT, you know, you could have BTS drop a song at the same time as, you know, Stevie and the Johnstone, you know, group or whatever down the street. And like you have to fight against that in the same area. Uh, you know because it's set up by you know release Canada or you know New music Friday, you know, you know whatever the countrywide or or area- wide. So like if you're stuck in the same area as someone else who's releasing something huge around the same time, you have to find clever ways to kind of compensate for that. And so a cover is a really good way for people to care about what you're doing without realizing that they're caring about your band by accident. So like if you make a cover of a song that just came out, uh, or just a classic song or something like that that you know people will have an, a, a draw to, then, like, for example, Ghostbusters movie's coming out soon, right? The mm-hmm. the new one? Yep. With that dude from Stranger Things? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's terrible, I know. <laughs> it's got a cool name, I just can't remember it right now. Uh, yeah, same. Um, so, Finn Wolfhard. Thank you, Finn. Uh, Finn actually ends up in a lot of um, the uh, pup music videos. Friggin' love pup growing up and, like, now he's, I don't know how they ended up pals, but like every time I see Finn in a pup video, I'm like, how are these worlds colliding? I want to be part of that world. Anyway, so uh, so the new <clears throat> Ghostbusters movie coming out. Let's say you, uh, Louis, like you come out with a cover of the Ghostbusters theme song. Yeah. Right by, what's his name, Ray something. uh, And then like, you know that that video coming out. So you have time to prep it to make it sound really good before the release. And then like a couple weeks before it, pops up you come up with that song under your own artist name but it's a cover right then people searching just for that might find your name and like they weren't looking for you specifically because they don't care about you because they don't know who you are Mm -hmm. but that cover shows up like oh listen to it and if it's sick you know if if your cover slaps then people are like who is this guy so it's it's a fast way to get, get people into what you're doing
0: Do you think the best approach would be to look for classic songs to cover or new songs similar to what you just described?
1: Depends on the kind of clientele you're looking for, the kind of like subscriber you're looking for. If you're looking for subs that are just like quick and short attention span kind of people, which is a lot, um, which which has tons of viral, you know, capability, but not so much like, you know, uh, longevity, then. Just really quick covers. Don't produce it hard. Don't work too hard on it. Just get it out. Throw ozone on the master. <laughs> just, you know, just blast it out, and mm-hmm. then make volume over over. You know, perfection. Because then you're going to be able to get faster releases with a attention span like a shorter attention span and a very specific kind of clientele or, or kind of of kind of sub. If you're looking for doing something classier or something that has longevity, then classic songs or songs that don't really have a time frame. Mm-hmm. Are obviously the best choice because, by the time you release it, it doesn't really matter, right? Like it's not, it's not like you releasing a cover of Backstreet's Back is going to matter right now when you do it if it's this month or next month, right? It's going to be still Backstreet Boys and it's still going to have a, this built-in audience, right? Like. Guys, I made a Backstreet Boys cover, and it's coming out next year. And everyone's like, cool.
0: <laughs> it's true. It's true. That's 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 a good way to differentiate between. So maybe perhaps a, a nice balance. You've got to do your due diligence. Find out what's coming out, what you want to be attached to, if you will, what your style can fit in. And then also play with some classics, if at all you want to do the cover thing.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, that's this is just what I've gleaned from doing this kind of weird thing
0: that I'm doing right now. Yeah. Awesome. We did touch on a little bit about the Pokémon Journey song, but uh that wasn't so much a cover, but what's your take on writing music for video games and for advertising is what is most lucrative currently? What's your take on that?
1: So we co-wrote that one on the road. Um so that one was a pretty modular song. Like it was written in the back of tour buses. It was written, it was recorded partly in Australia. It was like in someone's, like in my buddy's basement, it was recorded in the back of the bus with this microphone and that console, like the Apollo, just like with the bat, with the engine running, like it was recorded in hotels everywhere and written wow. everywhere. So like you really have to put that into consideration as well. Like they, the Pokemon team was one of the coolest, one of the, like the best, like or, uh, organizing member i don't know like what their name is or the ink or whatever but the the group that we were talking to in at pokemon yeah. were some of the coolest most chill people ever they're like yeah man that sounds good do whatever you want <laughs> I was like let's send like a demo like that i'm producing in the, in the back room or something and g's producing and yeah. then they're like i i have like no no, no confidence because it's pokemon right i send it they're it's like pokemon, sounds great yeah. i love it keep going <laughs> i was like really that's you awesome like okay that's so, so cool to answer your question like uh, it it completely depends. It it's entirely dependent on the song and on yeah. the time and like what your schedule has right now at that point.
0: That's a good point. That's a good point. And it's funny how when you were recording it, you were moving around, so it really was a journey. <laughs> I just wanted to point Never that thought out. Thought about that, but you're right. Yes, yes. Beautiful, beautiful Tokyo. We've got our final segment for today. This segment is called "Clear the Air." All right. Yes. Yes. All right, Tokyo, in clear the air. It doesn't smell in here, but what we're going to do is I'm going to throw you three different kind of topics and essentially we're trying to learn from 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 your past experiences here specifically. All right. The first part of this segment is or is going to be featuring a guest question. So I'm going to show that to you. Can you just speak one second so I can see your picture again?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: All right, awesome. So I'm going to show you a guest video. Mm -hmm. with a couple of questions here, okay? Sure. Hi, Tokyo. I've got
1: three questions for you. My first question is, what is a live performance that you were particularly excited or nervous for? Did you hear that? Yeah.
0: Okay, so we'll do that one first.
1: So a live performance that I was particularly nervous for was um, I was blessed to be part of the live show when we did uh royal albert hall
0: in royal london, albert hall where's that in
1: london and uh, england uh so the royal albert hall is like this insane insane venue where like some of the biggest bands in the you know in all history have played and like just wow. the possibility of playing in that same room where queen played and like all these huge bands played some of their eponymous like some of their their Climactic, like career changing shows. I was like, I don't deserve to be playing on this stage right now. <laughs> Come on! So I was, that was pretty nerve wracking. Yeah, very and cool. also because the stage was tiny and the pyro was like really, really close to the stage part. So like, if I'm if I reach my arm out too far, the pyro guy wouldn't t- turn it on. And then everyone would be like, why isn't the pyro going off? You know? (laughs) And it'd be like, my fault. So I was like standing right here, like playing the part. (laughs) Don't move, don't move, don't move. That's awesome. And the fire was so close, you could feel it, man. You could feel that heat. I was like, Your hair
0: singeing a little bit?
1: Well, not singeing. They did a great (laughs) job. (laughs) That's awesome. uh, But definitely hot.
0: Yes. Here is our second question. This is from Ben Switzer. I didn't introduce him at all. Ben Switzer. Ben Switzer. Question number two. All right, Ben. And my follow up question
1: is. What was a very challenging cover video for you to capture in the past? A Challenging cover video to capture. Um, I'm gonna think about that one first. I'm gonna think about that one for a second. There was one called Hey Yeah, Um, a while back. That one was extremely challenging. That was like the floorboards were bouncy and like every time you step, the camera would shake. So we had to put camera like like squishy um, like to absorb shock, floor- absorb almost. Yeah, we had to like literally like floor scrubber squishies that we bought, put underneath every tripod. We had to put sandbags. We had to like the most crazy set. We had to put mics in completely different places. The instruments had to be brought out of the room, brought back in. It had to be like rigging wires with pulleys to pull things into stage and back out again. There was like cables attached to amps as counterweights. So the amp gets slid over so the sign comes down and someone else remote turns it on and turns it back off and the amp slides back and then the cello moves over and then goes underneath and everything has to be There's passed so much. underneath the camera. Which means it has to be like two feet off the ground. So you have to lie down and have the cello pass over you like this so it doesn't touch the camera lens. And then come get back on, Dude, it was insane. You have to run backstage at full speed. It wasn't Say even enough time what? to put your glove on because we had to put gloves on for something puppets. So I had to just put my hands back, and someone else was there to run, what? Put, the, put them on my hands when I'm not looking, and then run <laughs> and jump. Like, that's the most, awesome. The most challenging. The feats that you go to through date. for these videos. Oh man, you should see the rest of them.
0: <laughs> this, that's, I'm just Maybe talking I'll about hear about, about right them right later. Yeah, we do have it. one more quick question from him, and then we've got a couple clear the air from us. Cool. Yeah.
1: And my final question is: How do you decide which song you're going to cover next? Thank you. Um, how do decide which cover to do next? That is entirely up to them. Right. I'm just the front engineer. I'm just there right. to do whatever they want. And if they're like, "Hey, you, I, you know, I've been thinking about this song for a long time." Johnny uh uh is the uh the main the main contributor to that particular yeah. thing. Like he'll he'll usually have a couple ideas in mind, or he'll have looked up a bunch of different songs and like or he'll just like We're want to this. do something fun. Like just like we just did uh What's Love Got to Do with It?
0: Oh, ah, such and a good like, song. I heard it.
1: And he was just like, I wanna do this song and I was like, man, let's just do it.
0: Let's, let's do it. it. That's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Alrighty, awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for Ooh, thank you, Ben, for asking those questions. My questions for you are: How did you learn about signal change and hardwiring outboard gear together?
1: Great question. Um, signal chains and outboard gear—this is the kind of stuff I like talking about. All right, <laughs> now, you're, now you're talking my stuff here—the <laughs> um, the engineering side. I love it. So, signal chains and on an outboard gear was all MIA for me. So that's where I, uh, I never had touched musical gear before that program. I had never touched um a console or even a microphone really other than like an SM like 57 on a stage, act, you know, from being in a band. But really the first time I ever touched audio gear was in school. Wow. So I was like so absorbed, I was so into it. So I learned on the SSL Duality and the Sony MXP 3000 uh how to do, you know, bantam to bantam uh gear, you know, uh, what's it called? Bantam-to-bantam inserts, right? For for plugging in, plugging in, where plugins come from, plugging in external gear. Uh, so that's essentially like my, one of my thing. the things I miss most, in fact, is plugging in that external gear. Not because it's practical, because it's not. Not because it's fast, because it's certainly not. But because once you plug all that stuff in, you now have this tactile connection to the song you're working on. And there's something really trans, you know. um, What's the word I'm looking for? What's the word I'm looking for? Trans. Grumpy? Transcendent. That's the word I'm looking for. Transcendent. There's something really transcendent about grabbing gear physically and then moving the song or moving parts of the song while you're listening to it, right? Because you're no longer just receiving basically airwaves into your ears but you're now touching those airwaves and it's not the same when you you know grab a plug-in or something like that it's something really really haptic about doing it with your hands so that's one thing that i really do love is uh, is that signal flow you're, you're physically putting in the signal right you're not just like yeah. routing it digitally or whatever
0: right right but in in mia they don't really teach the inner workings of the outboard gear how did how did you dive further into that world
1: Um, I dove to some degree further into that, um, if we're talking about, you know, schematics now, um, I had already been a bit of an electrical, I had gone to school for two and a half years before that as a mechanical engineer. So I was, Uh, I wasn't going to be into music at all. Music was a, was a, was a afterthought of a, of me quitting my, my mechanical engineering, uh, program, but I'd already been in electrical engineering as well. Electrical was part of my program. So it was a, it wasn't super hard to jump into uh the the technical side of the of the engineering in at MIA because I would already recognize a lot of the schematics and stuff if I happened to be looking at one. I was like, "Oh, okay, this is, you know, this is the signal flow of of this particular plugin or this is the signal flow of this particular outboard gear." So it definitely did help a lot. That's kind of where I got
0: it from. Interesting. And in the group Walk off the Earth, if they don't have a person like you, that's like fully engaged with them all the time. Who takes on that role?
1: Uh, Johnny G does that. He's an amazing engineer. He's an awesome here. He uh, he has been mixing all their stuff before me, so he does and on all the recording and all that stuff. So it's a it's a really really good working relationship. Like with and and he'll jump in often, actually quite often. Yeah, uh, more than people realize. Like when I'm working on something and I'm like I don't know really about this thing or like what we'll have is like. A, like a sit-in like i'll get the the engineering and the production stuff in the mix or whatever to a certain point and then he'll jump in and do the rest of it and then i'll jump back in and just go back and forth mm-hmm. or like i'll mix something and i know you've gotten to this before uh is it like when you get to a point in the mix where you just give up i'm just like i don't know what i'm listening to anymore i i can't tell if this is a good mix i can't tell if it's a bad mix so i'm like <laughs> i take my hands off and i'm like i'm out and yeah. then like you will come in like why is the space like 60b too quiet? And like turn it up. Or like, why is this synth there? It take it out. And I'm, I'm like, oh, this sounds great.
0: Yeah. So yeah, you just need some time to escape and then come back into exactly. it. Exactly. So if I wasn't there, this would all be happening regardless, 100. It has to. Ha- it has to happen. But exactly. I'm just curious to see because you obviously have a very interesting way and approach of doing it, and it does stand out. So I felt I should ask. Well, thank you. If I stood You're... out, it would still be happening. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> The science of sound, all of what we just spoke about engineering and whatnot, mm-hmm. how does this play a role into composing?
1: Wow, the science of sound, how it plays into composition. Composition is, if you want to dissect it, just the inner workings or the intermodulation of certain frequencies. Right? You have, you know, a fifth, an octave, an s third octave, and then you got to, you have a power chord, uh, or whatever the case, right? And mm-hmm. or like a sub-octave and a super-octave. Um, those are just three different fundamental frequencies vibrating at mathematical you know, intervals. And those mathematical intervals are perceived as sound, though this, the signal source and the single path only perceives them as waveforms or as sources. So if you consider the signal flow of what we were talking about before, plugging in a piece of gear or putting on a plugin. You have to consider what that signal source contains when you're mixing. So right. for example, if I record a power chord, and I don't want this power chord to distort the same way as you know, the top lead line, if I want the power chord to intermodulate, then I might put less notes or more notes if I want to have a denser modulation or a denser cross modulation between those notes into an amp. Like if you play an entire chord, like a C major chord or a C diminished, whatever the <laughs> whatever chord <you were> <laughs> I was playing. If I played yeah.
2: that chord, <laughs>
1: yeah, <laughs> if you played that chord into a heavily distorted amp, it's gonna sound really dense. Not wrong, and if it's perfectly in tune, it'll sound quite beautiful. But if it's even a little bit out of tune, that starts to have negative effects because what you're getting is those fundamentals and harmonics are getting distorted and turning themselves up and then folding back down into your audible spectrum. And that's creating a really, really, really dense part to listen to, which is why most people, when they're heavily distorting guitars, they're using less notes. Now, you would do that kind of instinctively, but the science behind it is pretty
0: interesting. Yeah. It, when you say do it instinctively, it's almost the ear. You develop the ear and you can like hear that.
1: Yeah, like most people just think like, wow, I don't want to play full chords through this you know, through this angle amp because it sounds kind of gross. Right. Because the ear says it's kind of gross, but it doesn't right. know why. But the reason is because you're turning up all those harmonics to the same level or nearly the same level as the fundamentals. So now not only are you hearing fundamentals in a particular chord that was already dense to start off, you're now hearing all of each single note's harmonics. And the those harmonic notes intermodulating or playing against each other and now being turned up at the same level as the fundamentals now you're just getting this huge sandwich of sound Mm -hmm. so the brain doesn't say there's too much harmonics in this it sounds like garbage it just says this sounds like
0: garbage (laughs) (laughs) which makes sense but that's that's where you're able to differentiate the two i've i've heard a story before where you were sitting in a room working with individuals and you're like no the modes are off in here and the other engineers in the room couldn't really hear that. Firstly, can you describe to the listeners what a mode is and how you go about detecting this where others can't? Where did you hear this story? <laughs> uh, in a studio.
1: <laughs> <laughs> wow, I uh, don't even remember saying that. But I will pretend that I did and go okay, on like cool, I did. Okay, cool. um, I guess I had said that sometime in the past. Um, I And by the way, I don't know if it's modes or nodes. Some people call them nodes. Some people call them modes n as in nancy n, yeah. and m as in michael i don't know what the difference is between them if there are any differences but shout on the comments if you know um, Interesting, yeah but the difference is between those two i don't know but what i do know is when you go into a three-dimensional space which is all spaces because we live in a three-dimensional world yeah there are points of pressure both of crest and troughs of pressure in the area that you are sitting in that will change the way that air flows through that space and specifically you know notes so if you take a sine wave and start sweeping from 20 to 20 right you're going to find out that where you're sitting in a regular room i'm not talking about a treated room here a regular room you'll just hear the changes between that that the amplitude so as you sweep slowly it might sound more like like it'll never sound that consistent. Only in headphones, it'll go. hmm. Mm, mm. you'll hear those dropouts and those amplitude, right. like the amplitude increasing and amplitude decreasing. So those are the nodes or the modes. It's basically just at, at that specific location where you're sitting. Yeah. So let's say you're in the sweet spot, right? And you're going through sweep by some reason of chance um you might just be like i thought i had a note there or let's say there's a baseline you're working on this really really bass heavy track this specifically has to do with bass most like room acoustics are trying to treat bass as a reductive thing as an absorbing bass and high end as a spreading thing as in kind of diffusing highs or mids right absorbing highs can sometimes make the space kind of feel anechoic and almost um, uncanny. And it, that's not necessarily what you want in a, in a really good mixing space. But for low end, absorption is kind of understood as the, the best kind of go, way to go forward. So if you have a regular room with very little absorption uh, and regular diffusion, the most obvious problem you're going to have is like around that 160 hertz range where you're going to have these waveforms clashing with each other and then phasing out. I mean, that's that's science. That's science. the science of what's happening, right? Like, let's say you have a, an audio gun and you blast uh, a waveform, just a sinusoidal waveform at 80 hertz and it hits that wall, a perfectly flat wall that's perfectly parallel to me. It's going to come right back to me, right? And 80 hertz is 80 cycles per second. 80 cycles per second is a certain amount of inches or whatever. I don't know the... Yeah. the but the speed of sound is, what, 4,000-something or other? So Quite if you quick. multiply the speed of sound by the cycles per second, you get the inch length of that specific waveform. If you math it out, it's going to hit that wall, bounce back, and then whether or not it hits in phase with itself, right, or out of phase with itself, it'll either double in amplitude or phase can cancel out. Uh. So as you're sweeping that, whoop, the second you get to the 80 hertz if that happened to be phasic canceling at your distance, it's just going to sound like silence. Yeah. And then the second you get further, like 85 hertz, it's going to come you back into the again. audible spectrum again because it's, it's just a little bit out of phase with itself, right? right? And then it just keeps doing the same cycle as you go through the different uh, you know, notes. That's so every, very cool. Yeah, that's the very long-winded explanation.
0: <laughs> awesome. We do have the grumpy sound guy. He can answer the difference between nodes and modes.
2: Yes, thank you. It was uh, it was actually pretty accurate. you just said I just wanted to say that those two things are different. The modes, as you just said, is um, are the the frequency or the the speed at which those sounds vibrate in the membrane. But the nodes are just those little points where there's no movement within the spectrum.
1: Mm. So, so the so, nodes of an n is no movement
2: exactly as is in the in the end and the modes are just like the general speed like the uh, they move in the in those frequencies
1: perfect so the modes was what i was looking for right so the so when i said i guess at some point <laughs> if I, at some point i said the modes are weird in this room or whatever i said there it's probably because there was probably a baseline going and one of the notes disappeared
0: right that's, that's probably, probably what, happened. what happened that's probably what happened yeah. okay Tokyo, just so you know, it is 11 o'clock. I've got one or two more questions unless you've got to run.
1: No, I'm good. I'm good till uh, like 12.30 or so.
0: Okay, awesome. Okay, awesome. I mean, no, sorry, 11.30 or so. <laughs> 11.30, yeah. Honestly. We won't go that far anyway. Yeah. Um, in terms of in terms of the sound science, how do you recommend young professionals understand this? Is it, is it mainly through school? Because most people don't have an engineering background, mechanical um, or electrical.
1: It depends on your willpower, 100% willpower. If you wanted to learn all this on your own, it's 2020. YouTube, Wikipedia, Reddit. Like there's there's no, you know, there's really no way you couldn't learn that stuff if you wanted to. You just have to do your research and no one's gonna, and there's a bunch of really good programs online, like on Skillshare and like there's, there's tons of stuff out there. Yeah. Uh, but but it depends on how much you want to learn it. And then- The like, onus is on you. Yeah, the onus is on you. It's easier to do it in a program that's organized all that information into a learning program, right? Otherwise when to say school but <laughs> but essentially like if you just wanted to learn it and you were
0: super hungry, you could. It's not impossible. It's not possible If there's a will there's a way. hundred percent. okay, okay. what about walk off the earth drew you to them?
1: Um, well, they asked me to come and help out. That's one way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, were you a fan of theirs before?
1: I was. I mean, I'd seen some videos and stuff. Uh, when I was really young, I would cut up PVC pipes and make like tubulums, like the Blue Man Group style. Yeah. Because uh, I'd seen the Blue Man Group when I was younger, and I was like, I want that. So we went to the hardware store, and me and my buddy Stevie just cut a bunch of these plastic tubes to the exact lengths, you know, and then hit them with uh, flop, you know, floppy uh, flip flops. Thank you. Flip flops. Oh, okay. Uh, to get that. Thump. And then we just built these like this instrument where you can just, and that was like the first step to that sound that I liked. And then later, his mom bought a set of boomwhackers. I was like, "Oh, these are so sick! This is exactly what we Yeah, it's just like these tubes that have; they're just hollow tubes, but they're cut where the fundamental ends up at a specific note when you hit them, and they vibrate. So Whoa. it's basically a tubulum, but with impact on the side rather than the top difference being if you close the top it's an octave lower but if you keep it open it's an octave higher we found out if you just hit it and close your hand over it you you actually extend the bass one octave lower so we're like dude we can now play these instead of the tubulum and then i saw some of these videos from these people on youtube playing the boomwhackers and i was like these are my kind of guys huh. <laughs> And so that's just that was my first you know introduction Ex- to them.
0: Yeah, to them. And then what was it like coming into the band as a hired gun? Was there some kind of transition time, or or like you had to understand the workflow of the band? How did that go?
1: Yeah, I mean, even today I'm still technically a freelance hired gun. So the difference being that we have such an awesome relationship now that it's it's definitely like a it's a it's a family now, right? Um, and I had showed up after getting a Facebook message just being like hey you want to come and do a day of you know of whatever and i was like yeah tell me where to show (laughs) up like what time what planet like you know i tell me where to go i'll be there i'm there that's awesome Uh, that's awesome
0: um well do you so since you're a hired gun do you do personal work do you work for with others as well
1: um i very briefly do just because the the work like load is it's pretty intense so like i'll have i'll usually be working every day all day except for sundays
0: um with walk off the earth or in general
1: yeah with 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 walk off so that's that's basically my entire week but if there's something like a i'll call it passion project yeah. Um, I can usually slice that in in the mornings. Like today we have this conversation. And gotcha. if it wasn't this one, it would be – and I usually only do like one thing at a time on the side. So that way I don't – you know, because I really don't have more than a couple hours um, every few days. So people realize that it's – like if someone asks me something, I'll be like, okay, well, here's the deal. Like I only have X amount of time. So I can't really jump into it that much. But if you're cool with that, then let's do it. So that's kind of how I've I've done – side stuff it's just like a couple hours here a couple hours there a bit of a sunday here it's very very minimal but like 98 percent of my time is spent doing
0: doing the walk-off stuff. doing the work yeah. yeah beautiful do you ever find that you get nervous working with other incredible talented people like the band
1: not anymore i definitely did before um yeah. but now that it's more like a family then you know no one's nervous to go you know, have dinner with their family
0: or, or work with their family. Fair. So everyone's kinda almost boosting each other, motivating each other to level up and get, you know, Yeah. The band and, uh, is actually the band is get to amazing the stage where that. you can produ- produce a nice package.
1: Yeah. The band's amazing for that. They'll always be pushing each other. And especially me. Just be like, hey man, this is good, like, but like let's change this or like let's do this. Yeah. Or can I re- can I redo this or can I retract that? And I'm like, yeah. Like they'll be the like they'll be the first person to say like, don't fix it in the mix. For example, like I'll be like, oh, I can, t- I could like tune that. That's fine. Or I can comp that. They're like, let me just try two more takes. Yeah. And the rip it. I'm like, okay, cool. That just cut out, you know, half an hour of editing for me. Yeah. So Yeah. So like yeah. They, they're Recorded pushing themselves and they're pushing me all good. the time.
0: Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. We do have our grumpy sound guy. He wants to ask you one more question about DAWs.
2: Yeah. So you were talking about, uh, logic and Luna and getting back to that. Mm-hmm. What do you think people keep using Pro Tools then? Like is.
1: um, People keep using Pro Tools because it's kind of like the bike that you've just been riding your whole life. And so there's just really not much of an onus or of an, in, like, there's not much of a an incentive to not ride that bike. I mean, like, if the chain is maybe not as new or the the gear changing is kind of getting rusty or whatever the case, they've done a really good job of trying to catch up with other DAWs who are just a lot more smooth and a lot m- more new. In the sense How of the feature. What you
2: said about it having to be renewed all the time and just like not being very yeah. friendly with BSTs and stuff like that?
1: Right. So, for example, like uh, it's it has proprietary plugin types, which is kind of weird, uh, which forces developers to have to make a different plugin style just for Pro Tools uh, via AAX. Um, the subscription models, the Avid has stopped allowing people to buy perpetual cross grades from their their existing perpetual ones they can only go to a subscription model which is kind of like saying if you own a car and they're like do you want a new car seat sure but if you buy this car seat next year I own the car and you're like wait what but that's kind of what they're selling and it's kind of just a weird vibe so like I don't know what the mood is there but it's kind of a big mood
2: copy that interesting
0: Beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that, Grumpy. Thank you for asking that. <laughs>
1: yeah, definitely a Grumpy answer as well.
0: <laughs> Copy that. <Yeah. laughs> That's jokes. Tokyo, do you have any final words? We've reached the end here. Um, I love the baffling and
1: like I love the sound attenuation and diffusion behind you, dude. <laughs> I'm a bit jealous <laughs> of that. It's nice, hey. Yeah, it's nice. I, thank I you so much.
0: Is there somewhere that our listeners can find you?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean. You can find the band on YouTube. Uh, I think that one goes without saying. Yep. Uh, you can find me on most the Instagram uh, at Friend Engineer. Um, if you have any trouble finding that, it's Friend Engineer
0: <laughs> together. Nice. I'll, I'll, uh, we'll have that in the show notes for yeah, sure. Exactly. For sure. All righty. All righty. Well, thank you so much, listeners. I hope you guys learned a lot today. Shout out to Prevail Media Group because without the facility, we can't Prevail. do this. Shout out to our grumpy sound guy. We. Uh, <laughs> Tell us how you really feel, OK? Yeah And exactly. then big, big, big shout out to Mr. Tokyo Spears. Thank you so much for your time and your energy. We are out here. Absolutely.: Thank you for listening. If you found any value in this episode and you want to learn more from our content, check out our website at goproduce.ca. If you're on Instagram, check out our handle at go.produce. If you're on YouTube, subscribe. If you're on Spotify, hit download. If you're on Apple Music, leave a review. This will all help us grow our community. I'm Big Lou and this is Go Produce.